Good morning. Didn't they do a good job this morning? I mean to tell you, good job. I'm, I'm so thankful for all the talent that God has given, not just for the talent, but that they use it for the glory of God. Thank you, Taylor. And I know there's a lot of work that goes into that. Most of us don't even think about the work that goes in behind what you see up here. They practice and they're faithful, and I thank you for that. And thank you all for honoring God and leading us to his throne. We must worship him. He's deserving. This morning, we're going we're gonna to begin a study in the book of Ruth. If you'll take your Bible and turn to Ruth chapter 1. We're going to be talking about serving God where you are this morning. I, I remember two weeks ago, I told you we were going to kind of start a, a study on the church. And, and we're going to come back to that. But as I began to pray, God put this, this book of Ruth on my heart. Because in this book, we see a lot of things that we need to focus on as a church. As God's people, who we are and what we need to do and how we need to serve. And so this is kind of going along in conjunction with that focus on the church. This morning we're going to talk about serving God where you are. Serving God right where you are. I, so many times I hear people say, oh, if God would just, would just speak to me and tell me what to do. My, my usual response is, he has. He has given you instruction out of his word on what to do. There's many instructions on what we're to do in Christ. You know, we're to follow him and to teach his commands and go and tell the world the gospel. We talked a little bit about that last week. You know, our job is to proclaim the goodness of God, the image in which he has created within us. You know, when we turn from sin and trust in Christ, we have this image of Christ now that, that should compel us to go and speak of his grace and mercy. This morning, we're going to look at Ruth. We're going to look at chapter 1. We're actually going to look at the first six verses um, this morning. So we'll, we'll read down a little bit further than, than what was indicated there. Uh, Ruth chapter 1. Before we get started, I want to mention something to you. And you know, when January comes around, many of us make decisions to start eating healthier. Um, you know, mostly it's because we feel guilty for how we ate in December. Uh, and, and we all just like gorge ourselves. But that years ago, not, not too many years ago, but quite a few years ago now, I guess it is, Michelle and I made some decisions to start at least eating healthier and uh, some things that we used to make that we no longer eat, like breadsticks. You know, and we would take these biscuits and, and, and we would melt a stick of butter and douse them in this, I mean, in this butter, and we'd bake them. I mean, they're so good. Every good recipe, I think, starts with at least one stick of butter. I'm almost convinced. And now you say, now why would you begin a sermon like that? Now all we're going to be doing is thinking about bread the rest of the sermon. Because I can smell it if I think about it long enough. And I gained 10 pounds smelling it. Um, well, I, that's good. If you're thinking about bread now, I want you to use that hunger to remind you of something. I want to, you need to be reminded that you should have a hunger for the Word of God. And you should have a hunger for God himself. For Jesus is the bread of life. He said that to us in John and so we're going to talk about that. And the job of a Christian is to serve the bread of life to a lost and dying world. People are hungry for him, even if they don't know it. 
They desire him. They're just trying to fill that void with many other things. We have an easy job giving people something good that they need. This series, today we're beginning in a book, this book of Ruth, that deals with a man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech. He, he was from the town of Bethlehem, and God had a plan for him right where he was, and I do not believe he followed through. Like many of us, we just don't follow through sometimes. My prayer for you and for me is we would look deeply at where God has placed us and how we're to serve him right where we are. Let's pray before we read this passage. Father, help us this morning to hear your voice and your truth. God, find us obedient to your word. God, I pray that you would use me in spite of my flaws. God, that you would speak through me. And God, that your people might hear and listen to your voice and obey you. God, help us all to look around at how we might serve you right where we are. God, help us to be willing to serve Jesus, God, to our friends and family and our neighbors. And God, yes, even our enemies. For he's good and he is the bread of life that the world needs. God, teach us according to your word this morning. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand with me if we read, as we read Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. You may be seated. I want us to notice this morning three aspects of serving God right where you are. Point number one, if you're taking notes, um, you can just write this down. Uh, the grass is not greener. Some of you have learned this before, right? The grass is not greener. It's found in verse 1. The time in which Elimelech lived was a time of famine and spiritual darkness. It was after the time of the judges. You remember the judges? The, the judge, okay. I'm going to back up. In the Old Testament, when we hear the word judge in our culture, we think of somebody with a gavel making a ruling. When you think of judges in the Bible, think of deliverer. These were deliverers. So in this period of time in which they were, this was after the time of Othniel, after the time of Ehud, who was the left-handed judge, after the time of Deborah, who was the woman judge who stepped up when Barak would not lead. 
after the time of Gideon, but before the time of Samson. Remember the guy with the long hair, right? Yeah. So it's in this period. But there was a lack of spiritual leadership during this time. How do you know that? All you have to do is back up one verse before Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, and you see what was going on in the book of Judges, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Does it sound like something familiar right today that we're living in, right? Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. We have a king named Jesus, and everybody wants to throw this and him to the side. So there was a vacuum of good leadership, there was a spiritual darkness, and the place in which Elimelech lived had a severe famine. The people were hungry physically, and and the famine was most likely caused by the chaos in the land. This is indicated as the reason that Elimelech moved his family. We're not given specifics on why Elimelech moved. I heard someone say, and I read something about, well, Elimelech and his family were likely more wealthy because they had the means in which to actually move and go somewhere else. We don't know that, but we also don't know that God commanded him to move either. I want you to remember that God's people had been hungry before. You remember they were hungry before in the wilderness and they cried out to God, God, are you, did you bring us out here to die? And Moses prayed, and, and God provided, right? He, he gave water from a rock, and what came down from heaven? Manna, bread from heaven, came down. Israel had received provision from God before in the midst of a famine. Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, in Matthew 6, verse 11, he said, Give us this day our daily bread. Not store it up in barns so that we can have it, right? He even taught a parable about that. But you also remember there was a time when Jesus was teaching and there was 5,000 people all around, 5,000 men, not accounting the women and the children. And they were hungry. It was the end of the day. And he took five loaves and two fish and he fed the multitudes with them, right? And the disciples got to pick up 12 basketfuls left over. So God is in the business of providing, even in the midst of a famine. But Elimelech didn't trust God, I'm I'm convinced. But listen, what a great time to be a servant of God when everyone around you is hungry and you can offer them the bread of life. So many times we focus on what we're missing out that we miss the opportunity that God's called us to. People are hungry. People are hungry in this country. They're spiritually hungry, and they don't know it. And and they were from the town of Bethlehem. Do do you know what the name Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. Isn't that crazy? Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Imagine that. The bread of life came from the house of bread. That's pretty cool, I think. But from a spiritual viewpoint, back here in the book of Ruth, look what was going on with Elimelech. He lived in a messianic town. This is where Jesus would be born, Bethlehem, the house of bread. He lived in a messianic time. People were looking for a Savior. They knew Jesus was coming. They just knew he wasn't here yet. There was spiritual darkness. People were crying out for the Messiah. They were crying out for leadership. 
and there was none. So he lived in a messianic town, he lived in a messianic time, and he, and he was among a people with a messianic need. They needed food, but they needed spiritual food. They needed the bread of life. But Elimelech obviously did not see these things this way, for he focused on the physical. Are we not all guilty of just looking at the physical sometimes? Our circumstances? Oh, we get the Eeyore complex. Woe is me. Look why, oh, this is terrible. Oh, no. We'll never make it. We're doomed. He saw the famine. He did not trust God to feed his people. And as a result, you know, of, of even what God had done in the past, he just didn't trust. And so he moved his family to a different place. There was a pastor many years ago in the town of Sandy, Utah. Many of you know that that's Mormon country. Uh, he began a Baptist church there, and it struggled in the first couple of years. And, and it, the church was very small. It was averaging only about 50 people at best. Every member that, that gained, though, that, that came to the church brought more fierce opposition from the outside until one day the people of the town put so much pressure on the members of the church they asked the pastor to leave. Not the members of the church, but the people outside were trying to force him out. He prayed, he asked God for strength and wisdom, and he stayed, and God began to bless that church. Five years later, it grew to about 500 members. And then a few years later, it grew to about 1,200 you know, that pastor knew that he was in a town that needed to be served up the bread of life, Jesus. And if he were to leave, he would have missed out on the blessing that God had. God often gives us trials to test our faith in order to find us obedient, and then blessings follow. Spiritual blessings I'm speaking of. If we hold to him, we will see those blessings that he has for us. We must continue to serve the bread of life right where we are, no matter the difficulty we face, even in a country that, that it seems to have lost its way. We worry about so many things. We worry about financial things. We worry about you know, inflation. We worry about, am I going to be able to afford this? Instead of saying, oh God, thank you, bring people to their knees, God, Bring a terrible tragedy in this place that people might turn to you and then serve up the bread of life to them. The next time you're in the midst of a trial or a difficulty, just know this, the grass is not greener. We're going to see that in this text. The grass is just not greener on the other side of the fence. Why? God has a blessing for you right where you are if you'll serve him. Number two, not only is the grass not greener, your choice has consequences. We see it in verses three through five. Would you care to guess what the name Elimelech means? Probably not. You probably, if you're like me, you're like, oh, I don't know. Elimelech's name means, my God is my king. Huh? Elimelech was given a great name, but a great name does not result always in a great man. You can only have a great name if you live for the Lord completely, and he makes you a great person. Elimelech did not have a desire to live up to his name. Had God been his king, I believe he would have trusted God through the famine and stayed right where he was, in the promised land. Elimelech left Bethlehem for Moab. Guess what the word Moab means? Wash pot. 
or in some some in in one of the psalms it, it talks about the wash basin so Elimelech leaves the house of bread to go live in the wash pot that that didn't sound like a good trade to me at all Elimelech, Elimelech left a country that faced a physical difficulty and a famine, and he entered a country filled with a spiritual famine, one that did not worship the true God. Do you know who settled in the land of Moab? It were the descendants of Lot. We find that in Genesis 19:37. Well, so what about the people of Lot? They were idolaters. You know their God? Their God was a God by the name of Chemosh. Chemosh. You're like, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Chemosh was worshipped through child sacrifice. Say what? No, no, no. We're, we're not talking about the murder of unborn babies. We're talking about the murder of born children, which is equally as bad, right? They're both equally horrible. So they had this god, this idol, that they would worship by sacrificing their children. Hey, let's throw them in a fire. Let's kill them. Now, that's the place you want to take your children to to get away from a famine, huh? You're like, no, 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 no. I would never take my kids to a place like that. Why would you want to subject your family to idol worship? Huh? Elimelech thought he was doing what was best for his family. However, it appears he fails to consult God. I don't ever recall in this book ever finding anywhere in here after God has instructed his children to go to the promised land where he says, hey, when tough times come on, you can go ahead and leave. You can go to another place. Haven't read that. That's why I'm convinced that Elimelech should have stayed. He was an Israelite. He was of the tribe of Judah. He should have stayed. But he didn't. God placed them right where he wanted them so he would also prove he could provide for them. As a result, though, of Elimelech's choice to leave the land, he also left the protection for him and his family. Look at verse 3. Elimelech dies. Where does he die? In the wash pot, in Moab. What happens in verse 4 and 5? His sons also reap the consequences of his choice by dying in the land of Moab 10 years later after marrying two Moabite women. By the way, the name Malon means sickness. The name Chilean means weakness. Wow. We go from my God is my king to weakness and sickness. Notice in verse 5, though, also, his wife got to reap the consequences of his choice by being left alone with two daughters-in-laws in a foreign land. Men, this is a great time to write a note down. My choices affect my wife, and she will often suffer for them. Make note. There's a man by the, an old, old pastor years ago by the name of F.B. Meyer says, The greater the man, the dearer the price he pays for a short season of sinful pleasure. Men, we'd do well to memorize that quote. God's best for Elimelech was obviously not in Moab. Elimelech bailed on God. He left the promised land where God had placed him. You know, we, we may not be able to say that Elimelech failed, but we can say he bailed. He bailed on where God had him. He quit. 
Do you know there's a difference between losing and quitting? If you quit, you're guaranteed to lose. But even in a loss, if you finish, you're guaranteed to learn. You know, every one of us fail at some point, do we not? I mean, how many of you have ever, never, ever failed in your whole life? I mean, I've failed a bunch. The Bible is full of, example of examples of people who failed, right? I mean, go back, you think of Moses. I mean, the lawgiver. I mean, we think, oh man, Moses was amazing. He got to see God in a burning bush. He got to go up on the mountain of God. He saw the kind of glory of God. But he questioned God. He, he murdered an, an Egyptian, and he got to go flee and live in the land of Midian for 40 years. And then he was afraid to even speak when God asked him to go and be his spokesman. And, and so he lived in fear, but God still used him, right? Because he never gave up on God. He just kept coming back. King David, did he ever fail? Shake your head like this. Yeah. He was an adultering lying, murdering man who had chaos ravage his family as a result of his sin. And David, King David, came back to the Lord and wept over his sin before God, and God used him. Think about Peter. We talked about him recently. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times right around the time of the crucifixion. Did, did, did he give up? No, he didn't quit. He trusted God. You know, God can use us if we fail. But our decisions have consequences. So don't bail on God. Just be faithful. Say, God, I may have failed, but God, I'm trusting you. And, and there's, a, there's a saying, I think it came, comes from Henry Blackaby, bloom where God plants you. Bloom right where he plants you. The grass is not greener. It's just not and your choice will have consequences. So just say, God, use me in spite of who I am and in spite of what my, I'm even thinking. God, help me to trust you. Lastly, in verse 6, what I want you to write down, this is what I want you to take away from this whole message. You know, the grass is not greener. Your choice has consequences. But God is merciful. God is merciful. I hope you have realized that by now. Elimelech almost broke the lineage of Judah that leads to Christ. Elimelech was an Ephrathite of the tribe of Judah living in Bethlehem. In the remainder of the book, we find that even though Elimelech bailed on God, God sends a kinsman redeemer by the name of Boaz to resurrect the lineage to keep it alive. A kinsman redeemer is one who's a blood relative of Elimelech, and we'll get to this later, that could purchase the right to continue his lineage. That's what a kinsman redeemer is. Someone who could pay the price to buy back the lineage. You see that picture at the cross, don't you? We were made in the image of God, corrupted by sin. The lineage was broken, and Jesus came, and he was the kinsman redeemer, and he bought it back for you and me that we might be 
of Christ and bear his image yet again. It reveals to us that, that God, uh, the salvation that, that God offers is not just for the Jewish people. We see that here in the book of Ruth. And you, you just write it down. Was Ruth an Israelite or a Gentile? Well, she wasn't from one of the tribes. That makes you a Gentile. Okay? Gentiles were anyone who were not of the lineage of Israel. Ruth was not of that. And so we see now the lineage of Christ is going to come down through Ruth, which was a Gentile. We should have seen that the nation of Israel should have had it blatantly right before their face that this gospel message, this Messiah to come, is even for the Gentile world. It's for the whole world. Ruth was a Moabite, a Gentile. God wanted everyone to know that he is faithful. Even though his, his people at times are not, he can raise up faithful people. It was his plan for the Messiah to come from the tribe of Judah. And God made sure that happened. We'll see that in the, the rest of this book. Verse 6, Naomi, she's having to leave this place of Moab. And now she's going to make her way back to Bethlehem. By the way, Naomi's name simply means sweetness. The, the late W.A. Criswell used to, every time he talked about Naomi, he said, I like to refer to her just simply as sugar pie. I think that's a pretty good name for her. And in verse 6, we see she had set out to go home. God had mercy on this family and had plans to preserve it. And Naomi began to make her way back to the promised land in Bethlehem to return to the tribe of Judah. Many times we're at the end of our rope and we look up and we're like, God, there's just no hope. There's, there's nothing left. All we can do is reach out and rest in his sweet mercy. And we find that God's merciful. God revealed to her that she needed to return home. She was out working in the fields of Moab, and she begins to hear, hey, guess what? The famine is over in Bethlehem. There's food now in your house. And God showed Naomi tremendous mercy by leading her home, leading her back home. You know, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how big of a mistake you've made, I want you to hear this. God's mercy is here for you, and it will lead you home to the house of bread where you know Jesus is the bread of life. You need to realize God's merciful. God's mercy is great. At creation, God saw that it was good. He saw it was good, and we were made, mankind was made in his image. But when sin entered into, it destroyed that relationship. And that image was marred. It was destroyed. We had rebelled against God. And there was a spiritual famine in our life such that we were doomed for a spiritual death. There was no more hope, no more life, no more anything. But God, but God demonstrated his love for you in this while you were still in that sinful, dead state. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sin. And he's calling people to respond to that gospel message. He, he, he's commanding people, turn from your sin. 
turn away from this wash pot and to the bread of life. Trust in what Jesus has done for you. Trust in the spiritual food that he provides by his death, burial, and resurrection. Quit trusting in yourself. That's what repentance means. Quit trusting in yourself. Turn from trusting in yourself and your ways and trust in the payment that Jesus made for you. Not only will he forgive you, he will give you the righteousness of Christ in its place. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we've quoted this before. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing for any should per- that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. He's calling people to repentance. And Romans tells us it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of us hearing a message of, hey, you know what? You've been through a famine. You've lost your husband. You've lost your two sons. And you're all alone in this foreign land of Moab. But guess what? They, they hear of the good news of what's going on in the promised land. We hear of the good news of Jesus. And he's calling people to turn from their sin and to trust him. If that's you this morning, I pray that you would turn and trust him. Listen, in our country, in the United States of America, we used to, I heard people all the time, well, we're a Christian nation. We are not a Christian nation. We are not. We live in a time of spiritual famine. We are in a spiritual famine. People do not want to hear what this book has to say oftentimes. They don't even know that they desperately need the bread of life. There is spiritual darkness all around. And and it would be real easy for us to say, oh no, this is terrible. But what a better time for us to say, guess what? We have the light of Jesus. We have the bread of life and we can share him with you. We we don't have to walk around with our heads down and, and worry. We can bloom right where God has planted us if we'll be faithful to the message of the gospel and obedient. And God will do great things because the grass really isn't greener somewhere else. Just serve God where you are. Your choices have consequences. Make sure you're where God wants you, not where you want to be. Well, I I don't don't like working with with this type of people or or this age of people. Just, Just bloom where God plants you. Just serve where he has you. The, the church doesn't need you to ask. That doesn't, we, as a church, we don't need to ask, hey, can, can, we, can we do this? We need to rather say, God, what would you have us do? That's the question we need to ask. We don't need to ask, can we do it? Because the answer to that question almost every time is, can we? Do we have the ability to do this? The answer is almost always no. Why? We are limited in what we can do. The better question is say, God, what would you have us do? God, whatever it is, I'm going to trust you that you can do it through us. Even though we may not have all the resources, even though we may not have the the complete ability, we trust God in the midst of famine and darkness. And remember this, God is merciful. Despite any past mistakes we've made, despite any past mistakes this church body has made, God is still faithful and forgiving. And his love endures forever. And ever. So I pray, I pray that you respond to him 
If you don't know him, I pray you turn from your sin and trust in the payment that Christ made. If you know him, know that he is the bread of life. And, and even though there's a spiritual famine all around us, we serve that bread of life to the rest of the world. And it's good. And it's enough. Maybe God's calling you to be a more faithful witness today. Maybe God is setting you apart for a ministry. Maybe God's calling you to join and be a part of this fellowship. I don't know what God is asking you to do, but you do. And I pray that God finds you obedient. Trust him. Trust him. Serve him where you are. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Oh, how good you are. And God, we often get distracted and discouraged about the things around us. God, we don't know what's going to happen next, and so we worry. God, we become so intent about the things we're lacking that we miss you. God, we could go hungry. We could do without food. God, we could do without money. We could do without houses and lands and cars and, and things and stuff. But God, the one thing we cannot do without is you. We need you, God. God, I pray that you would allow us to stay in your presence. God, that your presence just might be all over us. And God, that your spirit might indwell us and fill us and give us boldness and faith to carry the gospel message to a lost and dying world all around us. God, find us faithful to make disciples here. Help us to do and serve you right here. Help us to bloom, God, where you've planted us, to serve right where we are. Help us to trust you more every day. God, we ask you to bless this time of response. Find us all obedient. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me. I'm going to ask Taylor to sing, and uh, if you want to join her, you can. Maybe you need to pray right where you are. Maybe you need to come kneel at this altar and pray. Maybe you need to kneel at that, that pew right where you're at. I want to ask you, please, please find yourself obedient to God today.
chorus one last time. so much for being here today. It's good to see your faces. Um, tonight, remember, Sarah, what time is Awana? Can you tell us? Oh, right here. Kim, 4, 3.59, you said. 3.59, Awana starts. Um, it's a great way to train your child to, with the scriptures and to help them be grounded in that. Parents, your, your assignments, go home, work on those memory verses before you come back, right? Okay, I'm sorry, I got the wrong person. That's, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Well, you, you be in prayer for those that are serving in Awana. If you can't be there, pray for those kids to be able to memorize, to be able to hide God's word in their heart that they might not sin against God, okay? That's important. It is crucial that they learn Scripture and to know it and, uh, and that these workers be encouraged. So if you know somebody who's serving in Awana or in another capacity in this church, thank them. If you have a, a teacher of a class, thank them for teaching. Um, and I want to encourage you, as you go from this place, remember your job is to serve the bread of life to the people around you. Share Jesus. Tell them of what he's done for them, how he left his home in heaven, how he lived a sinless life and died a death that you and I deserve in our place that we might, through repentance and faith in him, have hope and life. Share that good news. Share that good news, okay? We have a great message to share. I, I hope you'll be back next week. Find somebody else that you look around and say, I know there's somebody that's not here. Call them this week and invite them back with you next week. Would you do that? Do that, okay? Love on one another. I, I know we've been through a rough time. I know COVID's been rough on everybody. Uh, but we really desperately need one another. We need to be around one another. So call somebody. Let's close in prayer. Any other announcements before I close? All right. Let's pray. Father, you are so gracious and good and kind to us, far better than we deserve. And God, even in the midst of our failure, God, we remember that you're merciful and you're kind and you're good. God, help us as we leave this place to remember that even though we're in a, a place, God, where there's spiritual famine, a place, God, where people are reaching to find joy in many other things, the only true joy we truly have is Jesus himself. God, help us to share that joy faithfully through the midst of whatever circumstances you have us living through. God, help us to realize that we don't need to run from you, that there is still hope in you. So God, find us a faithful people. God, help us to, to love you faithfully this week. God, bring us back safely to worship yet again. And God, to bring us back on Thursday night to pray. God, I know the weather was rough this last week. So, Father, bring us back together uh, this coming Thursday that we might pray and seek your face together. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.